Well, what's up, y'all? I'm preaching today. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I wish. I wish. Tell my dad, okay? Um, hey, I get the honor. I get the honor of uh, introducing our guest, uh, but I really, I really don't want to call him a guest because uh, he's family. I mean, he's actually part of our uh, our sister church. He he planted a church. Uh, what was it? Six years ago? Seven years ago? Um, and it's flourishing, man. Uh, we have an awesome leader today. He's actually my uncle as well. Um, Pastor Dave Payne is coming in and giving us a word. Who's ready for a word? Anybody ready to get a good word? Um, he's a church planner, and uh, as a church planner, that is one of the biggest steps of faith you can possibly do. Uh, so he got a call of God in his life. Um, as a youth pastor, he was actually my first youth pastor I ever had, and he got the call of God to go out and plant a church and took a huge step of faith. Um, so we can learn a lot from him. He's an incredible leader. Uh, I love learning from him personally, and he's one of the smartest guys I've ever met in my entire life. So, uh, hey, give everybody, uh, give him a warm welcome. Let's all stand up to our feet and honor our leadership. You're awesome, dude. Great job. Well, just, just stay standing for the duration of the service. <laughs> no, that's all right. Why don't you sit down? I, I don't need all that. Um, before I... Uh, before I share a little bit this morning, first of all, I just want to introduce uh, my wife, who's actually the daughter of the founder and the sister of your pastor, my wife, Janelle Payne. Would you give her a big hand? Um, yeah, that's, uh, she should be the one up here. Uh, that girl can, can lead worship and preach, and she's, uh, she's all that in a bag of chips, and I just get to kind of go along for the ride. Um, Listen, it is, uh, it is really, really, really cool to be with you. Now, I, I'm a wanderer. I don't know how my brother is uh, up here on the platform, but I like to wander so I could end up in the dark and um, just, just deal with that up front. That's just how I roll. So um, that's how things will go. Uh, but it is really, really, really cool to be back in a sanctuary that I spent a lot of years in. Some of you are familiar faces. When I look around, I got to hug a few this morning. We'll get to greet some more uh, on the way out. But a lot of you I don't know, and um, you're, you should be grateful for that, that we don't know each other. Um, but, I, but I'm grateful to be back here in a place that I spent a long time. My wife and I met at Oral Roberts University. How many of you are familiar with ORU? Okay, a bunch of you, good. Um, of course, you know, Derek and Stacy uh, went there as well. And that's where Janelle and I met. Um, I was playing soccer out there. She followed her brother out there to find a husband, and she landed this big codfish. So um, it was good. But, but we moved back up here afterwards, and spent, I, I spent some time up here um, just, just trying to figure out how to make a way. And, and what I mean by that is my degree is in mathematics. It's okay. You can, you can yell. That's disgusting. All that stuff is gross. I get it. But, um, but my degree's in math. I'm not a seminary degree guy. I didn't take 27 years of theology classes. I took a number of theology classes, but I took a lot of math classes, multivariable calculus. How many of you want to give it up for multivariable calculus? That's what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, so um, we'll just do integrals and stuff afterwards. It's all good. And, uh, and so my degree's in math, but we moved back up here after we got married. Um, Janelle had always felt called to be a part of her dad's ministry. And um, so we moved back up here, and, and it was great. We moved up here. But I began kind of trying to figure out how to make a way, trying to uh, get a job. How many of you know that's not easy? And especially when your degree's in math. Nobody wants to hire you unless you can do crazy math stuff for somebody who needs that. Nobody needs that. So nobody told me that. I borrowed money and learned that. Okay. So... Um, <laughs> So we moved back up here, and I ended up selling propane gas. I, I was a director of sales and marketing for a medical device company. I sold computer software. And then at 26 years old, things shifted for me. 
And, and, and here's kind of what happened. When I was 18 years old at my graduation, um, my high school science teacher and gym teacher told me at my graduation, right? Graduation, cap, gown, march the aisle. He said, listen, uh, David, I was praying for you before graduation. And the Lord told me to tell you, you're going to travel around the world and lead multitudes of people to Jesus. Well, th yeah, that's cool now. But when you're 18, walking down, you know, done, graduate, woo, go off and be a professional athlete, somebody telling you that freaks you out a little bit. So my great profound response to Mr. Yeldell was, thank you. <laughs> That's what I said. I said, thank you. And so I went on and did my thing. And that same thing happened to me three or four times. And at 26, after we moved up here and we were, you know, kind of doing things and I was trying to make a way and take care of a family, at 26, I said, okay, God, I get it. I, I get it. You want me to do something in ministry. I don't know whether it's really travel around the world or whether it's something else, but here's what I know. If you want me to do it, I'll do it, but you got to make it happen. I'm not going to go knock on doors. I'm not going to beat down walls. I'm not going to, you got, you got to figure it out. And it wasn't for three and a half more years till I went into ministry full time. I was almost 30 years old, came into ministry actually here at what was at the time Metro West Worship Center. And uh, I remember when the, some of you don't remember this, some of you just, this just, just, just is kind of like, you know, you feel me, but the, the, the platform used to be over there, and the whole sanctuary wrapped around like this. And I, I remember, I mean, the stuff I remember makes me old, but I remember stuff. And I went into ministry at, at 29, almost 30 years old, was a youth pastor, managed uh, all the network stuff here, technology stuff, built daycares with, with my father-in-law, and we did all, we, all this stuff. And I, six and a half years ago, we launched a church. I'll tell you that story in a second. And so I haven't gotten to be back in this room other than to teach a little segment at the Relate One Day here, you know, just a few months ago when y'all when hosted that, in six and a half years. This is nuts. This kind of flipping me out. Um, when I was here, they used that projector screen. Yeah, then that big projector. Last time I was here, there were, they, they didn't have flat panels. We had crazy big black boxes <laughs> that, you know, had like puppets in them. They were so old. And um, there was no big flat panel TVs. There, was, there wasn't any of that. And so I was doing youth ministry next door, and, and that, was, that was my kind of, that's my best recollection of what, this place was. And so to be here with you this morning after that kind of journey and have my nephew who was in my youth group. And I remember Devin, little punk. <laughs> now, now he's a big punk, but little punk in there. And uh, Mallory, when she first came to youth ministry, my own daughter, my oldest child, Ashton, when she came into youth ministry. And, um, and some of you sitting here this morning had kids that were in youth group when I was a youth pastor. It's really, really, really an honor and uh, a privilege to be able to be here and share with you uh, this morning. It's cool what God is doing here at Connect. Uh, Derek and I, Pastor Derek and I share stories about what's going on and some of the cool stuff that God's doing here. And, and of course, he celebrates what, what God's doing at Life Song too. So it's an honor and privilege to be here with you this morning. And my wife and I have been a little bit giddy, kind of thinking about getting to be back here and, and, and worship. You know, as a lead pastor, you don't always get to worship. Sometimes you got stuff you got to be doing while worship's beginning. It's just great just to worship. DJ and the team did an awesome job, didn't they? You got a great worship team. Yeah, you should give it up for them. They work hard to lead you well. And uh, you, need, you, need, you need to follow that. They're just excellent, excellent, excellent worship team, great leader. 
And um, so anyway, it's a real, real honor to be here and share with you this morning. I want to, uh, I want to pray, and then I'm going to tell you a little of life song story, and then I'm going to get into um, what w- this come and see idea. And so you should have in your worship guide some notes uh, should be in there. I want to invite you to, to grab those. And, uh, but we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump into uh, a little of life song story, and then more importantly, really, the, the, the rest of uh, what I want to talk about. So let's pray together this morning. Father God, we worship you this morning. We honor you. We thank you for being in this room. Holy Spirit of God, thank you for already being present from the first note that's played, for preparing an environment for us to arrive where you are already present, that you go before us and await us. And so God, thank you for your presence. Lord, I just ask that over these next, you know, 20, 30, 40 minutes, that God, you would shape us. You do something in us that's a little bit different than what you've been doing, that we would be moved in a, in a in kind of a different or new way, God, and that, um, that the outcomes from today's investment, getting out in the white stuff to come get poured into by you would truly, truly come to pass. That this wouldn't be a wasted trip on a snowy day, but that you would shape us and change us and impact us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for that this morning in Jesus' name. Everybody said... Amen. Good, good, good. Well, listen, uh, I, I thought I needed all this, but I'm going to wander, and so this, is, this isn't going to work out so well. So um, that's, what, that's how, how, how we do it. So um, here's, here's what I want to tell you. Um, first, I just want to give you a little bit of life song story. Some of you don't know this, this story. Um, some of you do. It was really cool to be hugging a couple people this morning and said, how long has it been? Well, life song, our church launched in September of 2006. Uh, I was here on staff for about seven years. Um, uh, my wife still works for her father, uh, Metro West Ministries. And we were on, I, was, I was on staff here alongside my brother and Pastor Charlie and, uh, for, for six and a half, seven years. And we launched LifeSong six and a half years ago. And I want you to hear, this, the story is, I like the story because it's my story, but I want you to hear the story for where we're going this morning, okay? So here's, here's kind of the story. Um, when we began to plant this church, uh, we spent a year praying and preparing. There were 40 people that came alongside us to launch Life's on Church. And uh, the eldership here, my brother, my father-in-law, we're all like, come on, Jesus, you, you got to get after it and get out of here in a, in a really nice way. And um, no, it, seriously, they were on board, have always been. Biggest supporters we have have been my father-in-law and, um, and my brother and, um, and just have been behind us every step of the way, even through our journey to launch. And um, I believe that a lot of the blessing that Connect experiences is directly tied to the way Pastor Derek and Stacy and Pastor Ernie and Randa, um, you know, we're family, so we would expect them to be on our team, but be, you know, have our back, you know, like, felt like Moses, you know, with Aaron just lifting my hands, you know, and, um, and they had our back. And I believe the blessing that rests here has a lot to do with that. And so there were 40 of us that spent a year preparing to launch this church. At the time, this church, just to give you some frame of reference, at the time, this church saw about 220 people on average on a Sunday morning, 220. Right now, that's, that's smaller than one service. At Connect, okay? You, you need to hear this. I, I don't know, listen, I don't do well at, let's just go real deep into Ephesians 3. That, that's not how I do things. We're gonna, we, if we're not going to get it done, then this is a waste. And so I want, I'm going I'm to make you kind of get some things done. So hear me for a second. There were 220 people on average on Sunday morning at church. That's babies, pregnant people, that's everything. That's everything. We counted twins as two. We write mom and two babies. They will be here someday. We're counting them now. Life began at conception. Let's go. All right. So, um, so, so we counted them all. There are 220 or 200, actually 222 people on average. And there were 40 of us that launched Life's on Church. And almost all of them came from this church. 
Almost all of them. My whole youth staff went with us. I had a whole youth staff. They all came. One of them's my assistant now. One of them's our church administrator. One of them leads worship. Yeah, two of them lead worship. One of them's our worship director. I mean, there were a lot of people, the 40 of us that went. And here's what happened. And just stay with me. When we were planning a church, one of the things that was a big deal to us in our DNA and in, in our prayer strategy for, for launching the church was we want a church that establishes relevance. And that's a buzzword, but it also can be a misunderstood word. For us, that meant that was both relevant in its style so that when people walked in, like they do here, they felt comfortable. It's like, okay, I get it. I may not believe everything or understand it all, but I get it. I'm comfortable, relevant environment. Number two, there was relevant communication. That everybody understood the word of God. It applied. It made sense. Something that is a value that you have here. We wanted it to establish community. We wanted to be plugged into our community, and we wanted to both have a church that felt like a community. This was the second thing. And the third thing, we wanted people to experience the power of God, the love of God, and know the difference between that and human inter interface, warmth, to know the difference between that. Stay with me. That was the DNA of our church as we were launching. And the church launched in September 2006. There were 394 people at our first service. And um, the church has grown now over the last six and a half years. We just moved into a new building about eight weeks ago. Finally, after a six and a half year journey, uh, built out a 20,000 square foot facility. And, and the church has grown from about 417 people to about 640 people in seven weeks. Now listen, 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 listen. That's cool. That's cool. Hooray, hooray. Yay, God. Yay, Pastor David Jail is awesome. It is awesome. But I want you to hear me. It is only awesome for what it will do. It is not awesome for what it is. And you need to hear this. God's doing really cool stuff at, at your church. I think he's doing some pretty amazing kind of undercurrent stuff in New England, period. But, but at Connect, at Lifesong, at, at several other churches, God's doing some really cool stuff. And, and you may be sitting here this morning, as, as, as Deej said, or as, as my nephew said, and you're like, hey, this is my first time at church. You know, this is the first time I came out on snowy, crazy day. I don't know why I'm an idiot, but I'm here. If that's the case, you're not an idiot. It's great that you're here, but you're going to hear some stuff that maybe isn't what you expected. And so he, here's the deal. Here's the deal. The awesomeness of growth is not, is not to be celebrated for what it is. It's to be celebrated for what follows it. And you say, well, what follows it is more growth. Yes, but it's not the growth that we celebrate. The celebrate facilitates, the growth facilitates, and that's what we celebrate, not the growth itself. And so LifeSong has had this really cool journey, we, you know, to whatever, 630, 40 people. I don't know how many people will be there this morning in the white stuff. And last week, you know, Pastor Derek and I were celebrating at one service, the great turnout, even at a single service, second service, only one service. And, of course, had a guest speaker last weekend. I think he planned it, by the way. He gets to go away during the snow. He gets to be away, and other people got to figure it out. So, yeah, but that, you know, I'll take that up with him later. But in any event, but, but had a great experience in a single service, and, and Lifeson did too, and we celebrate that. And I want you to hear this. This church has, I don't know, 500-plus people every weekend at church. I don't know what the numbers are, Deb. Maybe you know exactly, but 500-plus people between two services. Lifesong was less than that until just eight weeks ago. Now it's a little more than that. But between the two churches, listen to me, because where we're going is important that you get this. Six and a half years ago, there were 220 people roughly at church on the weekend at this one church. Six and a half years later, there are nearly 1,200 people in the two churches. You need to hear that. It's cool, but it's cool for a reason. It's cool for a reason. And some of the great reasons. People have come to know Jesus. I mean, that's, that's the best reason of all. There are people who were far from God that are now near to God. That's really good. But there are things yet to be done. 
And it takes people and it takes resources and it takes stuff to get stuff done. Stuff doesn't get done without stuff. It just doesn't. That's very important. Write that down. All right. It was all profound until that moment. All right. So listen, let me read you a passage out of Philippians chapter 3, and then I'm going to take you somewhere this morning. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about culture, about culture, and uh, I just, I, ta- I, I actually just think that this is something that churches, particularly in New England, don't pay attention to as well as they should. Your church does a pretty good job of it. Pastor Derek has laser focus on this idea, and so just give me a chance to invest this a little bit in you. Philippians chapter 3, I want you to turn your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2, but I'm going to read you a passage uh, real quickly. Philippians chapter 3 verse 12 says this. This is, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, and everybody knows who Paul is. Paul's the guy who got blinded, right? Saul, blinded, healed, can see, and he wrote a lot of the New Testament, and he wrote about 80% of our theology in Romans. So um, this is who is speaking, and this is a guy who went from a messed up guy burning people and churches and houses and beating people and all kinds of bad stuff to a guy that suddenly was planting churches and going around preaching the gospel, reaching people for Jesus, miracles happening. Radical change, boom, everything changed. Okay? And this guy, that guy is talking. This is what he says in Philippians. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. Been made perfect. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Here's, here's what I want you to hear this morning. Is that no matter how long you've been here and no matter how long you've been Jesus, been with Jesus, you are not perfect. Everybody who's not perfect, raise your hand. All right, good. Just raise your hand. Okay. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Nobody is perfect. We're all imperfect people, imperfect Christians, imperfect people. We are failing and failures in and of ourselves. However, none of, I I don't think there's a person in this room who was as imperfect at one point as Paul was. Paul was educated. He was elevated. He had position, but he was a bad, bad dude. And I don't mean that in a good, good way. He was a bad dude. Burnt people, burnt churches, beat people, arrested people, persecuted Jesus. Bad, bad, bad deal. And he said, after his transformation, Jesus transformed him and he became the apostle and founder of of, of a lot of the New Testament theology, writing letters and shaping churches all over the place. And he said, I'm not perfect, but I press on. There's something that I'm doing that goes beyond my imperfection. I am imperfect. I'm striving for perfection. God will shape me. Scripture says we're called to be perfect as as he is perfect. We're called to be holy as he is holy. Jesus said be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. That's what we're supposed to do. But Paul, this dude, changed guy, says I'm not perfect, but I'm pressing on for something bigger, better, further, deeper, more. And it's that thing that Jesus took hold of me for. Okay. Your church has a culture. Your church has a DNA, and I don't mean the DNA that you write about. I don't mean the DNA that's the mission statement on the back of your, you know, worship guide this morning. We all have one. They're important. Not the issue, but your church has a culture. Our church has a culture. The local church, as it's known, kind of collectively, multiple churches, our church, your church, and all the other churches that are non-denominational churches up here in New England, are perceived and, the, and our, their, people's perception is based on the culture. Now, some of it they've never visited, so their perception is just their assumption. But for a lot of people, they've been to some non-denominational church experience. 
They've been to your church or they've been to my church. They've been to somebody's church. And they have got a lens about what church looks like. And for most of them, their perception of the culture of the local church is a church that is evaluative. It is about perfection. Not, not getting to be, but having to be. Listen to me. It's about the perception is the culture of your church, my church, and any local church most of the time, for those who are far from God, is about I have to be perfect in order to be there. Not I have to be there so that I can be perfected. Okay. It's a big deal. And when the culture of the local church fulfills or looks anything similar to the lens that those outside of it look at it through, we fail. I'm just telling you, we fail. Your church, my church fails if we are at all similar to the lens that people who are far from God see the church through. And, and it is the culture that they ascribe to it. And your church has a culture. It has a culture. And here's the big idea. You can write this down. The culture of your church, of a church, is how the people are, not how they talk or the papers they sign. The culture of your church is how the people are, not how they talk or the papers they sign. I, I, you don't have to raise your hand. At our church, we have a member's commitment. We ask people to go through a 101 experience where they learn about the culture of our church, the DNA of our church, and then we invite them to participate and become an owner or a member of our church. And some do, some don't. You know, that's the journey, right? We have all kinds of members who sign a membership commitment, don't fulfill anything. Just be honest. We got people who come to 101, oh, it's a great church. The world put my flag. I want to be on the ship. Life's all the greatest thing ever. <laughs> they sign a membership commitment. We send them a letter. Welcome to the family. They do nothing. They sit and watch the show every week. And they're reinforcing a culture that is perceived from the outside but isn't really the culture we're trying to reflect. And so when people show up and they meet someone, hi, who are you? Hi, I'm John the member. It's great to meet you, John the member. What do you do? Nothing. How long have you been coming? 48 years. What have you been a part of? Watching. The culture is when you show up, I watch you. Wrong. The culture is not the membership they sign. The culture is not even the words they use. And I don't know if you guys have words, but every church has words that they use. Christian words, you know, catchphrases, we have words. And here, here, here's what I want you to get. Is that Jesus in the New Testament, if you watch the way Jesus went, and you look at the way Jesus went through, you know, the course of his three and a half years of ministry, I would suggest even before that, but let's just stay there for a minute. If you look at the way he went through ministry, he created a culture in his ministry that we try, every church leader that I know wants to have. Everyone I know. Everyone. And that, church, that, that culture is what is called a come and see culture. It's a come and see culture. It's a, it's a come and see, come as you are culture. That's what we want. You, however you are, come. Their perception is, until I'm different, I'll never go. What we want our church culture to be like is, that's okay, come as you are. Come and see what's going on just the way you are. And they're on the outside going, just the way I am. When I walk in, you'll all be seeing me not participating in something else. I'll get scanned. I'll get viewed. I'll get whatever. But the culture we, we want, and I would suggest that the culture Jesus created, first and foremost, was a come just the way you are. It's okay. 
come as you are culture. And, and here's how we see that. Every time we see Jesus encounter people who were uh, lost or who were, you know, sinful, broken people, let's just take the woman at the well. Take the woman at the well. Take the woman uh, with the issue of blood. Take the woman caught in adultery. Pick a story. Pick, a, pick, pick an experience. Here's what happened. Jesus had an encounter. Let's take the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Had this encounter. And, and he had this encounter with this woman, and as he encountered her, and she was going to get him something to drink, and they were having a conversation, what materialized through the course of it was that Jesus read her mail. He said to her, yeah, you're not married. In fact, you've been with five different men. You're not married to any of them. And she was like, right? Jaw dropped. How do you know that? What's up with that? Even the man you're with now, you're not married. Oh, my gosh. But here's the thing. While the woman experienced a measure of convicted awareness she didn't feel like she had to be perfect in the moment. This is important. We want to create, come as you are, culture. But here's our problem in the local church. This was not Jesus' problem. Jesus created, come as you are. But Jesus had more to the culture than that. And here's the culture. Come as you are, but don't stay the way you came. Listen to me. Your culture of your church, and my church, the culture of our church, should, if, if, it's, if it's a biblical pursuit, journey to replicate the ministry of Jesus the best we can in a New Testament church without Jesus leading it up here on the platform, multiplying loaves and fishes on a mountainside, is, can't just be come as you are, has to be come as you are, but don't stay the way you came. And that's a really, really, really challenging tension to strike in the local church. Because most churches end up at one extreme or the other. They either end up, come as you are, come as you are, come as you are. And all the people who are broken and sinning and far from God, come. And the church gets deluded to a place that simply tolerates and validates sin. That's come as you are, and that's all it is. Or we end up on this other extreme. Churches end up in a, don't say the way you came. Don't say the way you came. Don't say the way you came. Fire and brimstone, we're going to beat you and kill you. If you stay the way you came. And so as a result, nobody comes. Come as you are, stay the way you came. Don't stay the way you came. One or the other is extreme. And, but Jesus' ministry just delicately balanced those two things. And it's a tension in our churches. And, and it's a tension in your church. You may not even know it, but it is. You may not know it. Somebody in the back row is going, yeah, it's a tension. This is my third time. And it, whatever. Anyway. All right. So here's what, I, here's what I want to give you this morning. Here's how most of us are. Ready? Write these things down. Here's how most of us are. Because here's the thing. In, in most of our churches, it's come as you are, but usually the how are you leads to some, questions, some answers that aren't very true about how are we. Let me give you some things about how you are. Here's how you and I are. Number one, we're physically depleted. Most of you in here this morning are exhausted and tired. Now, maybe it's because you shoveled out snow to get here, but we're physically depleted. We're often running on fumes because of the nature of the busyness of life. And so we're, we're physically depleted. And when you're physically, physically depleted, there are all kinds of implications. All, all kinds of implications, which we'll get to in a minute. Here's the second thing. We're low on margin. Low on margin. Now, and we could talk about this subject for a long time. It's a whole series we could talk about margin. But we're low on margin. We're low on margin in time. We're low on margin in money. Our, our finances are, are strapped, which is actually the series we're doing at Lifestyle right now. It's called Strapped Financial Series. Our finances are strapped and our time is absent. We're physically exhausted, we have no time, and we feel like every dollar we have is tied up somewhere. For most of us, this may, these may not all be true of you, but most of these things are. Here's the third thing, is we're distressed or depressed. Our emotional state is, is kind of whack a little bit, a little messed up. Depressed or distressed. 
Here's the, the fourth thing. We're struggling for direction. This is a purpose question. This is the issue of where am I going? Where am I going and what am I doing? How are we? We're a little lost. We're a little emotionally messed up. Money's usually a little strapped and time is a little strapped. And we're physically worn out. And lastly, we're fighting for control. And here's what I mean by that. We're fighting for control. Fighting for control. I don't mean, how many of you would just be willing to say, yep, this morning I'm a control freak? Okay, eight of you. So awesome. All right. Some of you are trying to raise your spouse's hand. Get your hand up right now. <laughs> yes, you are a control freak. Okay. Most of us are, are, are you know, wrestle with that a little bit, especially in our, in our current culture. But here's the thing is I'm not talking about that kind of control. I'm talking the, about the, this kind of control. There's control freak control, but there's, there's just control of your own life. Autonomous, independent control factor. And again, this is a culture. Come as you are. Don't stay the way you came. Here's how we are. And this is what people experience. And so th that's the way they are. It's no different than how they are. This is a problem for us. And so here's what I mean by control. How many of you like m old Western type movies? Okay, a bunch of you. How many of you have ever seen a movie with horses and a stagecoach, ever? Okay, that's better. All right. So, so here's the deal. Is, um, in those movies, what happens is there's a team of horses tied to a vehicle. And the horses are traveling the vehicle. There's a team of horses. And there's a guy sitting him on top, and he has a stupid looking hat and a big windy mustache, and he has the reins. And, he's, and the horses are going, and he's, you know, yeah, and he's kind of guiding and steering the team of horses, and he's in charge. And what I love about these movies is there's always a fight on one of them, and whether the guy drops out of the trees as they pass on, or whether he climbs out of the stagecoach and gets up on top. However it happens, there's a battle on the stagecoach or the vehicle. And this battle ensues, and what happens is there is the, the, the person, you know, pa, and he grabs the reins. And suddenly he's in control. I'm in charge. And the guy over here, no, 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 I'm in charge. Whoopa. And takes it back. And there's a battle that ensues. And while the battle is ensuing for control, the, the, the vehicle and the team of horses go wherever they want and take you a place neither of you are intending. I'm punching you fighting for the reins. You're punching me fighting for the reins. And while we're fighting over who gets the reins, the horses take me somewhere I don't want to go and somewhere you don't want me to go. It's a place neither of us want to be, but we end up going there. And here's the deal. Because when I say fighting for control, how are we? We're dealing with physical depletion. We're dealing with emotional depression. We're dealing with overextension. We're dealing with all these things. And the last one is this control issue. And the control is not control freak over facing the cans in the cupboard so you can read the labels. It's not over your size. It's this control issue. Can I let Jesus be in control or can I be in control? And as long as I'm fighting for it, I'll end up in somewhere that neither of us wants to be. If I get control, I'll end up in a place at least I want to go. It may not be a good place, but it's a place I want to go. And if I let Jesus be in control, I'll end up in a place he wants me to go, which is probably the best, but it'll be really uncomfortable on the journey. And so in the meantime, I struggle to either let him be in control or let me be in control. And everybody that walks into your church and sees you with this kind of culture, everybody, everybody that's far from God walks in and says, I look like that. That's no different than who I am. That's my world. Now, it could mean that I can fit here, but could also mean I can stay here. And I don't mean stay at your church. I mean stay that way until we come the way we want to be. And here's what I mean by that. This is the passage in Ephesians that uh, I want you to see. <clears throat> this is Ephesians chapter 2. 
I'm going to read uh, three verses here, verses 8, 9, and 10. And there are three things that I, I just want to challenge or encourage you a little bit with this morning about the culture that you need to be working hard to create and carry forward at Connect Community Church. In your personal life and within your church culture. Because what people see in you is the culture they ascribe to your church. Not what they read in a brochure, not what they hear you talk about, what they see in you. It's who you are. Here are the three things. First one is, this is uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says this. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. How many of you believe that? Okay. Okay, good. So God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift of God. By grace you were saved. It's a gift of God. Nothing you could do to earn it. Therefore, if that's true, we need to come as we are exhibiting grace for the way everyone else is. Now, now that's true of this culture. Come as you are. It's a very grace-filled culture. And we should be coming with that. And I would suggest this is probably something that Connect does pretty well. This is just my guess. My guess is that many of you here have no problem exhibiting grace with people who are yet far from God. You may be here this morning and say, yeah, I've come two steps closer because people have given me grace on my journey toward Jesus. That's a huge deal, and it is birthed and based out of the recognition in your culture that you're only near to God because of his grace. Therefore, come as you are, grace-filled culture. We need to come exhibiting grace. Here's the second thing. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9 says, it's the next verse, but salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. Here's the thing that I think is mostly the problem for us is that we are behaviorally inauthentic and we need to be behaviorally authentic. Behaviorally authentic. What does that even mean? Here's what it means. Here's what it means. It means don't pretend to be somebody you aren't. Don't pretend to be somebody that you aren't. If you are going to, if you, somebody say, well, pastor, I've always heard, you know, fake it till you make it. Behave in a certain way and act like Jesus even if you're not. Uh, I don't know. I didn't see that happen a lot with the disciples. That's that's all I'm saying. They acted a lot like swearing fishermen. And they acted a lot like denial people three and a half years with Jesus who pretended that they didn't want to be affiliated with him. They were pretty pretty messed up guys. Jesus called them where they were and was trying to take them somewhere so they didn't stay the way that they were when he called them. And it was behavioral authenticity that was attractive to the 5,000 people who followed up on the mountainside and all the rest of it. It was behavioral authenticity. I'm broken, and you're giving me grace to be broken. But when I ask you how you're doing, you say, you know what? I'm a little broken too. Here's what's going on with me. This is where I'm at. I'm physically depleted. I'm emotionally exhausted. I'm financially tapped. I'm, I'm struggling with these things. And it, but I don't live there. I live trying to leave control over there so I can be something that is bigger and better than the way I came. That is exactly what, and, and this is, I'll give you our stat. Life's on Church, where we're planted on 146 in Sutton, within 30 minutes drive of our church are 300, 000, almost 300,000 people. That church, that location, that population, nearly 73% of those people, according to statistics, have never made a profession of faith, aren't affiliated with the church, have no church background, have no religious awareness at all. 210,000 people far from God within 30 minutes of our church. I don't know what your stats are, but I'll bet there are more people. I'll bet there are more people. Now, we, we, 30 minutes for us is right into, it includes almost all of Worcester, but y'all got Framingham and you got Natick, you got big stuff around here too. And here's the deal. All those people, 
don't want to be told, come on in the way you are and go ahead and stay there. The reason they will come is because they don't want to stay the way they are. But if you're behaviorally inauthentic, you exhibit grace, but you're not authentic about your own behavioral junk that you're coming out of and moving forward so you're not the way you came. All you're doing is being another thing they've tried that leaves them the way they were. Behavioral authenticity is the second part of, of a come as you are, but don't stay the way you came culture. And here's the third thing is you have to be purposefully malleable. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, the next verse here says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I'm not an art collector. Um, I don't have the money to and I don't have the, uh, the taste to, to, to pick out good art. Here's what I know though. I know when I see a piece of art, I understand some things about it. And I just want you to picture for a minute with me a, a, a painting or a sculpture or something that you've seen, that you're aware of, that you've been around, that has had some impact on you, that, that you looked at it and it spoke to you. It, it was meaningful to you in some way. You either appreciated the artistry or you, it had, there was some message that you felt, you, you saw it and you appreciated it. I have a piece of art hanging in, in one of the rooms off stage, uh, off the platform at, at Lifeson that a young man in our church painted for that room when we were moving from the theater into our building. And he painted this beautiful painting. And just picture your painting for a minute. And he did a great job. It had a movie reel in it because we were in a movie theater for six years. And it had some leaves falling. This, and he titled it Seasons of Change. The whole, me- the whole message of the painting was about things are changing. It's changed. And um, when I look at it, I'm just like, wow, now, Here's what I know. I know that that thing took a while to do. I know that it, it did not happen one afternoon. He just sat down and made it. I know that there were probably mistakes made. Lines erased, you know, paint colors that had to change. There, I bet if we could get a time lapse of the journey of creating that painting or the sculpture that you remember or the painting that you see, there would be all kinds of shifting and changing and tweaking and moving and erasing and refitting and recoloring and retuning to whatever the piece of art is that you're thinking about. But here's here's what scripture says in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. It says, but we are God's masterpiece and he's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. We have to be a culture that has been moved from the first lines that were drawn toward a masterpiece that was only imagined by him that no one else could see in the journey. I couldn't have seen what Ben was trying to create just by the lines on the paper or the first few er erasures. And maybe he couldn't either because the journey to create a masterpiece requires reframing and refining and removing and reshaping and recoloring and retweaking all the time. And the culture of your church cannot be a church that says, don't show up until you're a masterpiece. It has to be a culture that says we willingly arrive week in and week out to small group, to Sunday morning service, to the places we serve, to whatever it is, looking to be erased, refined, recolored, reshaped, redrawn, remade. Because it's in that and until that is the culture, the good works that God ordained for you to do, according to Ephesians 2, are are not achievable You are God's workmanship. You are his masterpiece created for this reason. You were made into a masterpiece to do these things. The culture of your church, if it stays a come-as-you-are culture, will not achieve the good things God has designed for you individually and your church to do because you're still thinking you got it together. 
or you're still living so much under grace that we're not called to become the masterpiece. That takes purpose in our malleability. Nobody is malleable unwillingly. You're only shapeable willingly. And so this morning, what my hope is, is that on a crazy snowy day, fighting the roads and the slush and shoveling your driveway to get out here this morning, that you would go away from here understanding these two things. And, and some of you are here this morning and maybe you, you're far from God. This is your first or second visit. I want to talk to you in a second. But for most of us here this morning, this is our church. We come here to, I hope, engage God, not get. We come to give, not to get. And if your culture of your church, you'll hear me on this, will move from a church that only exhibits grace, which we all want, so we give it easily, but to a place where it doesn't allow us to stay the way we are because we're authentic in who we are, and then we're pronouncing and allowing the shaping to become a masterpiece. I promise you that what God has yet to be done in through you, in and through you, and in and through your church will become the good works that he's foreordained. Until those things manifest, we're just churning. We're just, we'll, we'll, we'll get really excited because attendance went up one weekend. Hooray, church went from 420 to 600. Hooray, hooray. Did anybody, is anybody, am I, are we not just the way we were, but are we leaving, are we becoming, are we, are we not staying the way we came? Over time, are we becoming the masterpiece? If we are, then I promise you the 300,000 people that are nearby here that will flood these doors wanting to figure it out. What is it that is different about this place? That when I come here, that person that I met, and that person that I met, and when I hear their story, because they're behaviorally authentic, when I hear their story, they're different now than they were then. What is that? I need that. That's the culture that Jesus modeled in the New Testament. Not grace, 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 grace. Not burn, 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 burn. It, come as you are, but don't stay the way you came. Move through here. And you guys, the way you live, the way you are, the way you breathe, the way you are, you're your, your jobs and your families, all these places, you're the culture of this church. Not the paperwork, not even the catchphrases. It's the people. It's you. And so uh, my hope is that this morning as we go, that maybe God will nudge you a little bit in where it is that you've been a little more in the, maybe too much in the come the way you are side of this culture. Maybe some of you are way too much on the don't stay the way you came in that too, too, too much we're living over here too far. And, and usually it's because we think the other side's too extreme. Listen, let's find a way to balance that together so that the culture of your church is truly a place where people come the way they are and they do not go away the way that they came. Let's pray this morning and uh, just invite God to, to bring this to pass in us. Some of you here this morning, just as we're beginning to pray, you know, just, just go ahead, close your eyes, bow your head. Here, here's what I wanna say. If you're here this morning and you have showed up at church and you are far from God, you, 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 this is your first visit, second visit. Maybe it's your 50th visit. You've never, ever, ever invited Jesus to come and do something radically different in who you are to change you from the inside out. Maybe you're that person who said, yeah, I've been coming here because it's come as you are and that's great, but I've been staying the way I am for two weeks, two months, two years. Here's the deal. Would you let today be the day that that changes? Let today be the day you say, I'm no longer just gonna stay the way I am. Not gonna do that. I want to be changed. If that's you here this morning, here, here's what I want to invite you to do. We want you to take a step of faith where you declare that Jesus is the one who can change you. We read that verse this morning that you can't make it on your own and that you need him to forgive you for all of the junk that's in your life, the sin, the mistake, many, much of which you may not even know about. 
but you need to bow your knee to him. If you're here this morning and you've never bowed your knee to Jesus, I want to give you the chance to do that. I want to invite you to do two things. One, if you just kind of put your hand up where you are in your seat, say, that's me this morning. And then the second thing, I want you to just kind of look up at me. I want to make eye contact with you so I know that you're making a decision for Jesus this morning. It's a big deal. We celebrate that. And I know everybody in here would want to celebrate with you the surrender of your life to Jesus. If that's you, just one more minute. Slip your hand up where you are. Thank you, Jesus. I see that. Yeah, that's good. Thank you, Jesus. That's good. That's good. Thank you, God. Well, Father God, I thank you for those who've lifted their hands to you as a declaration of their desire to surrender to you. God, I pray that this moment this morning here in church would not just be an experience of, of lifted hand, but God, it would be an experience of a surrendered heart, an acknowledgement that they are not capable of making it on their own and they need you. Holy Spirit of God, would you come and meet with them right where they are? Would you come and confirm the transformation moment in their spirit right now in Jesus' name? God, as you forgive them for their sin, that they would recognize that they are being made new right now in Jesus' name. If you raised your hand this morning, you looked up here with me, I want to invite you to take just a second before you leave this morning and, and just fill, it, fill out that little uh, comment on the back of your connection card. We want to know that you took that step and participate in walking forward in that journey with you. For the rest of you, here's what I'm asking. God, that you would make us the culture that shapes the culture. That you would change the culture of our church to be so different. so Not so different in a weird way, but God, so different in a life-changing way that people around would be drawn by the hundreds to a place where they can't be left the way they are, which at the heart of our being is what we all seek. So God, we surrender that to you this morning. Ask you by your Holy Spirit to bring it to pass and thank you for doing it in and through us and Connect Community Church in Jesus' name.